At one point before I got married, I remember sitting in a room uh, with a large group of people and the guy next to us had an exciting announcement where he told everyone in the room that he had just gotten married, at which we were happy for him and we celebrated and, and, uh, and we were talking about it. And then one person mentioned or commented to the entire group and said, well, now you are a real man. And at that moment, I wanted to set up, stand up and go, so what am I? Uh, what are you trying to call me if now this guy's a real man? I'm not married. Am I not a real man? Now, that's obviously I don't think what he would be saying, but it does bring up a good point is how does the church view marriage? How should we view marriage? How should we view singles? And how does the church view singles? And what is this message that we are presenting of who singles are? Are they lesser people? Is the whole purpose of life just to get married? And so that's going to be the topic today. And hopefully you do not click away if you are married and you're like, oh, what do I need to learn about singles? There are some good things that you need to learn too and singles need to learn. And so for this, uh, oh, I'm bringing on a guest, but now all of a sudden I think my Skype call just dropped my guest. Uh, nope, oh, I see I'm, you there. I'm back. All right, you are back. Wonderful. <laughs> so let me bring him in. Joining me today to discuss this conversation is Neil Harden. Neil, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, for those who, if you're newer to the channel, you may not know Neil. Neil is a very good friend of mine. Neil was my roommate for three, two, oh, now I'm forgetting. Two years. Two years. We lived together in the same house. He still lives in the house that I lived in before I got married and I moved out. Uh, but Neil is an awesome, great friend. Just, you know, in past shows when he joined me, he just walked down the hallway and stepped into my bedroom. <laughs> now we got to do it true. over Skype. Um, yeah. But yeah, Neil's awesome. It's, man, it's how long since I've seen you in person? Uh, about two hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Neil uh, also uh, works at my school as a substitute teacher. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just so excited. Neil recently graduated from Talbot School of Theology with his master's in theology and is currently applying to PhD programs uh, where he just flew out for an interview for one program and is pursuing a PhD in theology. So, Neil, really quick, before we jump into our topic, uh, what exactly are you hoping to study in your PhD program? So I want to study how Jesus as a human uh, did or did not experience sexual desire, just in his capacity as a human. Um, yeah, just how did he experience sexuality? And then using him kind of as a model for what we ought to model our own sexual desires and our own sexuality off of. Wow, there you go. And why is this a topic? I mean, so Jesus and his desires and sexuality, I mean, how... I guess when I tell people you're studying this, the first question that comes up is like, where do we actually get this information? Does the Bible actually talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to kind of build, uh, use the scriptures that talk about Jesus and temptation or just a theology of sex generally or a theology of desire and sexual desire generally. And based on the fact that Jesus was sinless, say, okay, because we know that he's sinless, he like he, we know that he couldn't lust, for instance, because that would be a sin. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's like one piece of the puzzle. But um, yeah, you kind of have to. It's more of a constructive uh, account for you have to take all these different scriptures and piece it together to try and form. You know, what are the boundaries within which um, Jesus could experience sexual desire? Yeah, that's awesome. And I know this is a topic that I've talked to you about, and I have issues or questions on. It's like, hey, can you just can you just do your PhD dissertation and research now so that I can get some questions answered on this topic? Because this is definitely one to think about as, as just anyone just struggles with 
sexuality and with struggles with temptation and lust and that kind of stuff of like, man, when scripture says that Jesus sinned in every way or not sinned in every way, he did not sin. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. When it says that he's tempted in every way that we are, what exactly does that mean? How can we relate to Jesus in our temptation? Uh, and I think that's something, obviously, working with high school students there's a lot of temptation that happens. And so how can Jesus relate to us in that? So I'm excited about that. Now, you've also done some work with the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, what is that organization and what have you done with them? Uh, so like you said, it's the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's an entity of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they do a lot of works, a lot of work in ethics and politics and really uh, speaking to the government on behalf of the uh, SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as trying to uh, educate the church on how to think well about those types of issues. So I did two internships with them, one in their headquarters in Nashville, uh, one in their uh, D.C. office as well. And then I've also been a part-time editor and writer for them for almost two years now. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So as we kind of jump into our topic today um, about singleness and marriage, uh, I wanted to have you on the show because you recently preached at your church and you preached a sermon on singleness and living in light of eternity and just included some awesome details that I know I wanted to have on the show. And that's why I asked you to come on. But obviously recognizing there are going to be some people listening that are singles and others that are married. So first, what would you say to the married people? Why should they continue watching and not click away? <laughs> so first I'd say uh, we need to understand a proper relationship between singleness and marriage. Uh, singleness and marriage, we often talk about them in the church as if they're competing or conflicting doctrines with one another, but in reality they should be complementary doctrines yeah. uh, with one another. Uh, they each have their place in the church and they each point towards uh, our eternal life in Christ in different ways. Um, and so because they are complementary doctrines, um, how we view marriage will in some way be determined how we view singleness and vice versa. So if you have a bad view of singleness, then chances are you also have a bad view of marriage um, in, in, in those different ways. And of course, the opposite is true as well. Um, so married people can very much improve their own marriage by having a healthy doctrine of uh, singleness. Yeah. Uh, and then the second main reason I would say is that there is a large population of singles in the church today. Um, I did just kind of a show of hands when I preached this sermon and roughly a third of every service of the adults there were single. Um, and so you know, singleness incorporates a lot more people than you think. So it includes, you know, what people typically think of as the young 20-something person looking to be married, but it also includes older singles in their 30s and 40s, even 50s and even older. Uh, it also includes those who are widowed or widowers, uh, includes those who are divorced, um, and it also includes those who choose to remain single, like those who are same-sex attracted or you know, trying to live a life out of obedience to God, um, and so choose to remain single. Uh, so these are people in their congregation that they are called to minister to. They're not just called to marry to only the married couples in church. They are called to marry to everyone in their congregation. And if they don't have a good doctrine of singleness and or a good, not, good doctrine of marriage for that matter, then um, they won't be able to help them along in their own journey. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, obviously, we, we don't live in a culture where it's just one or the other. Hopefully, we are encouraging a community that has both marrieds and singles, where we are doing life together, we're learning from one another and growing. And that is obviously such a good place to be at. Um, 
Now, at the same time, what would you say then to the single people that are watching uh, kind of here at the start as we jump into this topic? I would just say, you know, use this as a time to reflect on what your own attitude towards singleness is. Um, you know, we tend to bear the brunt of comments intentionally or unintentionally that seem to tell us that singleness is a deficiency, that singleness is a disease for which we need a cure, um, or that we can't be fulfilled or happy in life without marriage or sex. And so yeah. really just as I've studied this and as I journeyed along in my own life, um, God's just really challenged me to view my singleness not as this deficiency or as this curse, but rather as an opportunity to serve. Yeah, And I think that's what we need to incorporate more than anything else. That's so good. Yeah, and if you guys are interested, you can head over to neilharden.com right there on the screen. Uh, and he's posted uh, his full sermon notes, kind of the transcript of the sermon that he preached on this topic. Uh, we'll be following along that uh, to some degree, uh, as some of the points that were brought up were just really good points that I do want to address. Uh, we're not going to be doing it completely, as he really focused in on 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five. Uh, to 40. But also there is the video that you can watch the sermon uh, given there as well. And then finally, just to kind of as an introduction to who you are, uh, the blog that you write is called the Religion and Politics Blog. Uh, why are you choosing the title Religion and Politics Blog? Well, my subtitle is it's the two things you're not supposed to talk about. Um, <laughs> and so it's just you know, we, we need to know how to think well about both theology and politics and also how they intersect. Um, sometimes I'll talk about one or the other, um, but especially just how they ought to interact with one another. A lot of Christians will try and keep them completely separated as if they don't. Um, but Bible talks about, about politics quite often or about political issues quite often. And we need to have like when we're voting, California here is voting here next week. We are when we are voting, or when we engage in politics in some fashion, then our conscience needs to be informed by Scripture. It shouldn't be devoid of uh, what we know to be true. Yeah, and I do want to encourage those who maybe if you are in uh, at least in the Southern California, Orange County area, but also across the country, uh, Neil is uh, great. Uh, at least he has been great for me in. <laughs> He offers on his website right now. Um, let me see really quick. Let me let me just pull it up. Uh, there is uh, on the main page um, a primary election guide for how to vote, uh, where, again, someone who I believe is very sound theologically, has an awesome worldview and is strong biblically and focuses on Christ, really goes through uh, the candidates that are up for election, uh, maybe the people that you can't do some research on. And you can at least get a, a perspective on how to view some of these different candidates, the policies that they hold to, the decisions that they made, and to try to inform your voting a little bit. So I do appreciate the work you've done there with that, Neil. Um, all right. So jumping in then uh, in kind of looking at uh, this topic of why this is important. Um, one thing is our culture has a very maybe not the best view of singleness and that possibly has even leaked into the church a little bit. So how would you kind of summarize uh, the cultural view as well as maybe the view of the inside the church of singles? Yeah, so the culture largely views singleness as an opportunity for immorality, for irresponsibility, for, you know, all, all the negative stereotypes that we typically hear about singleness. And the church in some ways as a reaction to that has really put marriage on a bit of a pedestal saying, no, we, don't, we aren't called to irresponsibility or immorality or anything like that. Um, and so marriage is kind of upheld as this picture of 
uh, goodness. And of course, marriage is good. And I don't want to ever uh, say anything otherwise. But um, by uh, holding up marriage without addressing really what the biblical vision of singleness is, as opposed to just simply reacting to the culture's vision of singleness, um, we do singles in the church a disservice by not actually teaching them about what their singleness is for, how they can use it to serve the church, um, and really just uh, painting singleness and marriage as equal vocations, That which is really how the Bible addresses it. Yeah. And I think it's just so important as we as we look at this as well of, of just, I mean, how much do people feel, and I guess when I'm dealing with my high school students, uh, I said deal with them, like I have to do it. But when I'm working with my high school students, man, my, my word's a little bit off today. I must be tired. <laughs> but when I'm working with my high school students, uh, there's just this idea that if you are uh, single, you are going to be, if you're, or if, at least if you're called to a, maybe a life of singleness or even single for a period of time, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be miserable. Uh, you, you, no one loves you. You, you know, you're, you're, if you're not having sex, if you're not married, man, that must be a lonely, miserable life. I mean, is that kind of what you're seeing in the culture and, and in the church of kind of a view? Uh, to some extent, I'd say it's getting, much better, especially in the church, or at least in my church. Um, I want to mention a, a great book on this very subject. I don't know if you can uh, zoom out there yeah, for there a, a minute, but um, but this book, Seven Myths About Singleness, is by Sam Alberry. Um, very, very good. I would highly recommend it. But in it, he addresses a lot of the misconceptions that people have about singleness, including single. The, those who be who are single will be lonely. I'll just. Uh, look at the table of contents here. So singleness is too hard. Singleness requires a special calling. Singleness means no intimacy. Singleness means no family. Singleness hinders ministry. Singleness wastes your sexuality, or singleness is easy, as uh, some married people t tend to think. <laughs> um, so, you know, singleness has its advantages. Um, I mean, certainly marriage also has its advantages too. Yep. Um, but yeah, we need to make sure to uphold and talk about what singleness's advantages are um, and not uh, look at it as, oh, you're being denied sexual fulfillment, you're being denied uh, happiness, you're being denied all these things, when really the Bible paints it as a fullness, a freedom, a an opportunity to serve others and really to, um, I think, like to have... Uh, like uh, in First Corinthians, it talks a lot about the advantages of singleness. One of them being that we have, we can be anxious about the things of the Lord yeah. and have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, and just like people who are married, uh, just because of the obligations they have to their spouse and children, uh, necessarily have a divided focus in their attention. Yeah, uh, single people uh, don't have that. They can if. They want to join a church ministry they can if they want to go out and hang out with someone they don't have to ask their spouse first and make sure that it's okay they don't have anything else planned and just like you know a lot of practical things that singles can often take for granted and they realize that when they get married they start missing that it's like oh man i i wish i had that freedom that i had when i was single and really that's what i want to communicate to singles now is that um Singleness comes with responsibilities and that freedom that you have and realizing that the flexibility and just the ability to serve the Lord with an undivided attention, um, really, it ought to be stewarded. Like singleness yeah. is meant to be stewarded. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. And we're going to talk about more of those advantages here in a little bit. Now, uh, I know you shared this on the my podcast before, which by the way, I just celebrated four years of podcasting for those who are wow. listening. This is uh, new on the YouTube channel, right? But uh, for those of you who are new and are unaware, uh, four years, just this last Tuesday. So that's pretty exciting. But uh, you have been a guest on my podcast quite a few times before um, as you were a very, uh, can I say, uh, well, you're obviously intelligent. Accessible. You have awesome things to say, but you are, <laughs> you are very accessible uh, to get opinions on culture and different aspects. But uh, you shared this before on the podcast, and I know you referenced this in the sermon because you recently spoke at your church's youth group and kind of shared your testimony and your story of why this idea of not only singleness— but also the idea of studying Jesus and his temptation, especially when it comes to the temptation of sexuality, uh, is important to you. Uh, do you want to share kind of any of that uh, with the listeners here tonight? Yeah, so part of my own uh, testimony, part of my own uh, story is just that I've wrestled with same-sex attractions for most of my life. And so when I think about the issue of singleness and how, like, just thinking of myself, God, I'm not attracted to women, but I know that marriage is only defined as a covenantal union between a man and a woman. Do you like want me to maybe try and marry someone or go out on dates with women? Do you just, or do you just want me to stay single and just serve you in that capacity? Um, and so, yeah, the issue of singleness is sometimes just in the way it interacts with my own sexuality can just be very, uh, profound or very painful, very, uh, just prominent on the forefront of my mind. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of, uh, I guess, complexity to the question of singleness. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes I think we can oversimplify what the decision to remain single or uh, marry someone. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and that's one of those things of just not, not that it's a bad intention, but it's something to think about. I, I, I share often a story in one of my talks that I give of, uh, you know, growing up and the majority of my life being told by my parents, my mom, my grandma, you know, you're going to grow up and one day you're going to meet the girl and, and this is going to happen and you're going to have a family. And this is kind of just this idea presented of this is the norm. This is what will happen. This is what should happen. And I remember, and I, and I share this story, like I mentioned often, I remember getting to about my early early 20s. And again, my mom telling me, uh, man, there's this girl out there for you. She's beautiful and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I finally had heard it enough. There was no evidence of her existence. She wasn't in the picture. <laughs> I had never seen her. At least I thought I hadn't seen her, but at that point I hadn't seen her. And I remember responding <laughs> kind of upset with my mom. Actually, I was pretty mad. And I was like, mom, where is she? Where is this girl that you're talking about? Mm. I haven't seen her. And I uh, kind of just maybe being more upset at, at constantly being told. And that, I think that's what I told my mom is just constantly being reminded of what I did not have. And mm -hmm. as if there's this incredible gift, but you don't have it, you don't have it, you don't have it, you don't have it, but it's out there, it's out there and trying to be an encouragement, right? My mom was coming from a, a, a place of really trying to express as I share in that talk, which I do think there's a video of somewhere on my YouTube channel. Uh, if I find it, I'll link to it, but uh, <laughs> trying to really share, um, out of a place of recognizing the beauty of marriage and wanting that same beauty for me, but then also me not being in that place and not being able to fully understand that, but then also painting this picture where then for some people, maybe marriage isn't in the picture. And I assume that you, as you share of just kind of the, the hurt maybe that you felt um, or, or, or the pain or anything, how much that was experienced because the church had presented marriage as this thing that will happen, should happen, and then all of a sudden you thinking, man, if, if, if I'm not attracted to women, then marriage is never going to happen for me. I'm, I'm going to be single. 
I mean, yeah. is that is that was that kind of playing in? I mean, were you maybe told similar things? Is that something that played into your story as well? Yeah, I mean, growing up in the church and just um, yeah, in a Christian home, you know, it's just you're it's assumed that you know one day you'll grow up and get married and have kids and you know have the the American dream, so to speak. Um, but when I started uh, developing same-sex attractions during puberty, I just uh, yeah, it, it just really complicated that picture. And it's like, okay, well, is this, should I still try to pursue a relationship with a woman and hope everything turns out okay? Or is there a, a different option for me? And I, I just also want to add, like, it's marriage to someone of the opposite sex is a legitimate option for someone, in my opinion. I know several people who have done that and are happily married. Um, yeah. But I think it's more uh, dependent on the individual. Like, for me in my life and just where I'm at right now, I'm content in my singleness and I want to serve the Lord with my singleness and just the opportunities that affords me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's good. To, again, just kind of discuss some of these cultural ideas of uh, of one, maybe a misconception in the church of that the single the marriage is for everyone, that this is a given, this is what will happen, and maybe it won't for some people. And what are we kind of presenting of man, you didn't get this, kind of sucks for you, maybe, uh, idea yeah. that's false. And then also, yeah, from the other side of that, um, that it's impossible of someone for same-sex desires to get married uh, uh, to someone of the opposite sex, be happy, be fulfilled. I think Christopher Yuan, uh, who... Uh, struggles with same-sex attraction. If you don't know him, uh, you need to check him out. Incredible book uh, that he's written, a couple books, as well as incredible speaker. But he shares a story in one of his talks of a guy who had same-sex attraction uh, and uh, just, again, said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be single and I'm okay with that. I'm going to live for the Lord. And he started volunteering and serving at his church. And it just so happened to be that there's a girl uh, that's also serving that had just come out of some difficult relationships. She uh, didn't want to date. And, and so they felt very comfortable together because, hey, he's not attracted to her. She doesn't want to date. And so they became good friends and over time started seeing things that he hadn't seen before in girls. And all of a sudden yeah. got the courage and asked her out on a date. And uh, she accepted and they went on a date and now they got married. And uh, he said, I guess, on their wedding night or wedding day, he said, you literally, you are, I don't know how to explain it, but you are the only woman I am attracted to. And they're happily married. It's just this beautiful thing that has happened. And so I think it's good to, to discuss some of these ideas that are not only maybe false ideas in the church, but also false ideas in our culture where, hey, without marriage, without sex, you're insufficient, you're less than, uh, something of that sense. Um, you also talk about, you know, singles needing to kind of bear the burden uh, to demonstrate the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, can you kind of go into that a little bit of how we should be sufficient in Christ rather than in marriage or in sex or in these certain things. Yeah. So singleness or those who are single because they don't have uh, what the culture and even what those in the church often hold out, hold out as this, uh, you know, don't, don't because they don't have marriage, which is often held out as this, you know, this will fulfill all of your relational needs and desires, which it doesn't, it does to some extent, or it does in a, a unique way. But um, yeah, because uh, those who are single are told that they don't have this, it can often leave them feeling like, oh, I'm less than, I am empty, I don't have this. But really, because of the gospel, um, uh, and just when single, when those who are single can show their contentedness in Christ, that really speaks volumes to the culture and to everyone. Really, that 
you know, Christ is sufficient for me, that he is the ultimate fulfillment of all my desires. And that um, even just the way that God provides for relational needs in the church is completely uh, unique and uh, foreign to the culture. Like the, the, the church is meant to be a family of sorts. Like you don't need uh, to be married and have children in order to have a family in the community of God. Um, uh, yeah. I, I love the, uh, um, the book uh, when the, the church was a family and just how, uh, how that book paints just how, how close uh, relationships were meant to be uh, between Christians, like brothers and sisters, like those were viewed as like the paramount uh, of closeness uh, uh, in, in, in the church back then and just in that in the Greco-Roman culture. And so, um, yeah, it, like single people are not devoid of uh, relational fulfillment. They're not devoid of um, being able to have deep, close, intimate relationships with people of both sexes. Yeah. Um it's just it, it comes in the form of friendship rather than in the form of marriage and sex, yeah. um, which again it, it it is it brings to the table a unique depth which I don't think uh, friendship necessarily or always brings to the table. But you know we could always look back at David and Jonathan where you know David talks about you know the love you have for me is better than the love of a woman. So um, just to just to show, it just goes to show that friendship can also have its own unique depth to it that maybe marriage doesn't. Yeah. And that's so good. And that's what I try to get students to often realize is when, you know, often the argument you hear in support of something like same-sex marriage is, well, they love each other and love is love. Uh, and it's like, well, just because you love someone, it means you should marry them and have a romantic relationship with them. Like I can easily think of many people in your life that you should never marry and you should not have sex with, that you love deeply. <laughs> Uh, parents, siblings, those sort of people. Uh, and so just because you love someone, I mean, if we have this idea that it's the person I love is who I should marry or something like this, uh, then it really does miss on what you pointed out and I think is so valuable is the the love of friendship and the closeness of friendship, which is something that, I mean, even say, I mean, especially uh, same-sex attracted people desperately need in the church mm -hmm. is is close friends and people yeah. and this idea that marriage is going to fulfill you uh make you happy that without it you're going to be lonely you know i often say that there are probably there are married people that are probably more lonely than some single people and there are single people that are more lonely than married people uh, it's not marriage that's going to solve your loneliness it's friendship it's relationship yeah and it's interesting that when uh Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he give his life for his friends. Yep. It's just interesting that friendship is held as the greatest form of love, or laying down one's life for one's friends is held as the greatest act of love possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus said that, and there's also, uh, you know, in 1 John 3.16, uh, it's, yeah, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so, again, you, you see this biblical view in Scripture of what love is. Uh, love is laying down your life for someone. Love is not described as this just emotional, uh, maybe uh, sexual attraction or feeling that we have towards someone. And again, that's where I think we can say love is a choice. You're choosing to lay your life mm -hmm. down rather than just a feeling that we know feelings come and go. But you're going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add that, you know, laying down your life for someone is like marriage just presents a very natural opportunity for you to do that on a daily basis. And so I think that's yeah. why people often associate that type of love with marriage. But uh, what I all, what part of what I wanted to communicate in my sermon was that as a single person, you can lay down your life for, um, 
for the church, for the Lord, and be have fulfillment in doing that. Absolutely. Now, one thing I want to kind of step back in as we we're as we we're talking about those the same sex attraction and, and just how it changes things based on maybe even just stories that you've been told and, and how you're told that life would um, turn out. Uh, one thing I do in in my talk when I talk about uh, uh, homosexuality is I start with some questions for thought, uh, and I'm trying to get the people to think. Uh, the first question is this: Is how would your life change if you had same sex attraction? Uh, and getting people to think about that: How would it affect your relationships? How would it affect your future and how would it affect your faith? And I think that this is something, again, that is so valuable when talking about this, especially when talking about the group of singles in the church that are single because of same-sex attraction and not being able in their own conscience to enter into a relationship. Um, this is going to greatly affect them and just the entire narrative of their life that they have been presented uh, that this is the way that life should turn out. And so I'm curious, Neil, on what you think of should we stop saying that this is the narrative of this is, you know, should we stop encouraging people towards marriage, not knowing if that's for everyone or how should the church go about approaching this topic of, of marriage and, and talking about people's futures? Yeah, I wouldn't say I would, uh, that we should stop encouraging people towards marriage because the, the way that it ends up working out, most people will get married. I just think we need to also present singleness as another viable option and that it shouldn't just be assumed uh, for everyone that they will be married. Um, yeah. So it's like singleness and marriage need to be upheld at, on equal footing here. And people, I think everyone should at least at some point ask themselves the question, should I get married or should I remain single? And to pray through that. Um, just because singleness has many advantages that marriage doesn't offer. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think what I say in my sermon is that every, everyone's individual circumstances are going to be different. And so based on those circumstances, like within the community of the church and through prayer and the leading of God's spirit, we can sort of work out, okay, is marriage going to be better for my sanctification, better for um just the way I serve others, the way I serve the church, or is singleness going to um, be better uh, for uh, my own particular life and how God wants to use me? Yeah. Now, one of the things that you mentioned here uh, uh, that you mentioned in your sermon, I thought was so good is you talked about the, one of the advantages of singleness is that it offers a picture of what eternity will be like. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So people are fairly familiar with how marriage points to the eternal reality between Christ and the church. Um, Jesus being the bridegroom, uh, the church being the bride. Um, but not, we don't often think about singleness in the same way. Uh, like there's a, a couple of scriptures in uh, the Gospels where Jesus, he's questioned by the Sadducees saying, uh, who don't believe in the resurrection. And they're basically saying, you know, if the resurrection were true, what about a woman who had been married seven times uh, during this life? Whose husband is she going to be in eternity? And he basically tells them, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God, and goes on to say that those uh, who are uh, the sons of the resurrection aren't uh, married nor are given in marriage. And so he basically describes singleness as uh, what our eternal state is going to be. Um, especially, I like to say, uh, just as... Um, marriage points to the eternal reality of the union between Christ and the church, singleness points to the, the eternal reality of how we will relate to one another as brothers and sisters. 
um, and as co-heirs with Christ. And have you thought at all, I mean, this is obviously complete speculation, but have you thought at all of what it will be like for those who were married and were in that very you know, uh, a close covenantal relationship for many years in life. They they pass away, we go to heaven, and now my wife is my sister. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if we can yeah. answer that question, but it comes to my mind. It's like, <laughs> how will that be like of now relating to my wife uh, in a friendship, sisterly way, not as my wife, which hopefully I will have experienced for many years by the time I, de- I am dead and in heaven? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably know that you were married on earth, but, you know, because uh, I know the Bible often describes marriage as ceasing at death, and I think part of the reason is that um, the, when we're living in eternity, and what the I should say the picture of what earthly marriage is pointing towards the relationship between Christ and the Church that's going to be our new reality. You know, Jesus will be the fulfillment of all of our desires, and so we won't. I don't think we'll actually miss uh, our earthly marriages, like mm-hmm. because. Um, it's like, uh, and it's not to detract at all from what earthly marriage is and how good it is, but it's to say that it's served its purpose. Like marriage is an earthly uh, institution and it ceases upon death because the greater reality that it's pointing to will come to pass that Christ and his church are now in a perfect union with one another. Yeah. And I think that's good. I mean, that even relates to what I talked about on the show last week of, you know, focusing on the things that are eternal rather than the things that are temporary. And I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on, even though it is beautiful and it is good, uh, marriage being a temporary thing, but making that out to seem like it is the most important rather than focusing on the things that are eternal, uh, the formation of our souls and those sort of things of how we relate to Jesus and proclaiming the gospel and the good news and and the things that Christ has put us here on this life to do. And that's one of the other points that you mentioned is that singleness actually uh, is or uh, bears a unique testimony to the gospel. And so how exactly uh, do you, what, what do you mean exactly when you say the testimony lived out well bears a unique testimony to the gospel? Uh, kind of just what I was saying before about how demonstrating a contentedness in Christ speaks volumes to a world where it says that you need marriage and sex to be happy, to be fulfilled. And if you can show the world that, no, I don't need those things, I actually am fully uh, content, I am fully, uh, I am, yeah, if I'm content in Christ, then it, it's it kind of just... Uh, it speaks a lot about who Jesus is. If he yeah. can meet all of your needs, if he can, um, yeah, if he can fulfill all your desires, and if, if he, or I should say, if he's the one you are uh, finding all the fulfillment of your desires in, then that really just bears a testimony uh, uniquely about Jesus, or I should say, it bears a testimony about Jesus that singles can uniquely uh, do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so cool, again, just trying to encourage of the ways in which married people and single people can each express a different aspect of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the the the, the purpose in which we are here, and in focusing on eternity and where we are going and how we're going to relate to one another. And the church just needs both so much and just the mm-hmm. encouragement, right? As we talked about at the very beginning, that these are complementary. These go together. They're not against each other. It's not like one is so much better than the other and we need to put one up and at the expense of, of devaluing the other, which I think is often what happens when we celebrate and promote 
marriage and put it higher than maybe it should be, uh, then we are maybe without even saying it, we are giving the impression to where my high school students will tell me. It's if you are asking a same-sex attracted individual to remain single the rest of their life, then you are destining them to a life of loneliness and misery. And we, we're not saying that, obviously. I've never heard a pastor or a Christian say, if you're single, you are go- for the rest of your life, you're going to be miserable. But that's often just the, the idea that is presented, the idea that is understood by people when marriage is that goal. Therefore, if you're saying no sex, no marriage for you, the rest of your life, you need to stay single, uh, they're just saying, okay, I'm going to be miserable. And, and how could you possibly call someone uh, in the gospel, which is supposed to be good news for all, how could you possibly call someone to a life that is not sounding so good? And I know that this kind of goes into uh, what I want to kind of switch into and, and talk about is this idea of the gift of singleness. And I've even heard you know people like Matthew Vines, who wrote the book God and the Gay Christian, who is a big advocate and, and you know, uh, least was one of the main voices in the gay Christian movement, uh, talk about this gift of singleness and, and what exactly that means. And so uh, how would you describe, uh, how would you explain what is the gift of singleness? Sure. So let's just first define what people typically think about when they hear the word gift of singleness. And usually people think about the gift of singleness as this supernatural ability to go without sexual fulfillment. Um, but I think that such a definition has several weaknesses. Um, one, uh, it raises sexual fulfillment almost to the level of a necessity and presumes that you need a supernatural gift to go without it. And that's just a, a recipe for sexual immorality, especially for those who desire to be married or have strong sexual desires but can't find a spouse. Um, Second, I would say it defines a gift of the Holy Spirit as an absence of something which God created good. So we have to recognize that God created sex and sexual desire as intrinsic goods. Um, And so to define the gift of singleness solely by the absence of those goods can make it seem like God God is just, uh, or God's gift is just withholding that thing uh, from you. And so that can create bitterness and discontentment. Um, Thirdly, I'd say that um, it orients uh, to define it simply as just the supernatural ability to go without sexual fulfillment, puts all the focus on you, where when in 1 Corinthians or throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about spiritual giftings, it, he talks about it in the context of serving the church and being of service to the church. And so um, a weakness of that definition is that it puts the focus on ourselves rather than on others and on the spirit. Um, And then lastly, it carries with it this assumption that only those with the gift of singleness should remain single. Um, However, this uh, assumption ignores just the complexities of life and uh, my own life as it serves as a perfect example. Um, You know, I have strong sexual desires and people often use that as the litmus test of whether you should marry or not, uh, in part based on uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, and I'll get back to that in a minute. but that shouldn't be the end-all, be-all uh, test of whether one uh, is single or married. Certainly, it should factor in and should factor in a big way. But when I look to my own situation, like just because I have strong sexual desires, that doesn't mean I should go off and uh, legally marry someone in, in a way which is contrary to the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, I I think a better definition of the gift of singleness is given in this uh, book here. I don't know if you could zoom out. It's called Redeeming Singleness. It's uh, by a guy named Barry Danilak. Um, 
in his book, I'm just going to read it. Uh, it says, uh, the charisma, which is the Greek word for gift. So it says, the gift of singleness is a spirit-enabled freedom to serve the king and the kingdom wholeheartedly without undue distraction for the longings of sexual intimacy, marriage, and family. And I like this a lot better because it puts the focus of the gift on Christ, the kingdom, the church, and uh, the spirit. Uh, it defines the gift in positive terms as a freedom rather than as simply an absence or a lack of something good. Um, it rightly orient orients our minds again towards service. And then he acknowledges that some people may still have some longings for marriage, uh, intimacy, family, but says they aren't unduly burdened by them. And I think that's more a more realistic picture of what, what people actually go through when they choose to remain single. It's not that a lot of people who are single don't want to be married, or even in my case, like it's not that I don't have a longing for intimacy or even marriage or family or sexual fulfillment, but I'm choosing to remain single out of obedience to God. Yeah. And the, the more I practice be, being content in Christ, the easier that this idea of remaining single long term has uh, become for me. And the amount of joy I get from having a purpose in my singleness uh, just uh, grows and grows the, uh, the the older I get. Yeah, and I think that's so good. And, and talking about that is is the idea in First Corinthians where uh, if you burn with strong passions, it's better for you to get married than to burn with mm -hmm. those passions. And so I know Matthew Vines uses that uh, to try to argue for same-sex marriage. And so I know you kind of talked about it a little bit. Is there? Can you go into that a little bit more of how Matthew Vines would use that to argue for um, same-sex marriage versus where your position on that would be? So that idea of just having yeah. a strong des sexual desire. Yeah, I mean, he takes it a very in a very simplistic way, which, to be fair, a lot of other Christians do the same thing when just talking about heterosexual relationships. But yeah. it's basically saying, you know, if you have strong sexual desire, you should marry. No exceptions, no nuance. But I think what he fails to do is uh, hold it in tension with what Paul says later in that chapter in verse 38, where he t basically talks about, you know, it's good that you marry, but you'll do even better if you remain single. Um, and so you have these two different types of betters that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And really what it comes down to is that Paul is giving general uh, statements of wisdom, not uh, hard and fast rules that are supposed to, uh, with no nuance or no exceptions to them. Yeah. Um, and so when it, it talks about like burning with passion, like, yes, that obviously if you burn with passion, then marriage should definitely be in the conversation. But it should not, therefore, lead you to violate uh, what Scripture has clearly established as the definition of marriage. Um, God, God is not a God of contradictions. He is not uh, trying to put an undue burden. And that's really what Vines uh, will lead into, is that telling uh, Christians or anyone who's same-sex attracted is that telling them to remain single puts an undue burden on them because they can't. He says they can't get married uh, to either the person they want or to someone of the opposite sex. And really, he doesn't discuss that second option of marrying marrying someone of the opposite sex. And again, I know people who have done that and have happy marriages. Um, but he also just uh, misrepresents singleness as this uh, stage or this uh, vocation of loneliness and just unfulfillment and really just adopts all the culture's misconceptions about 
uh, what sex and marriage are and how only if you have those things can you really be fulfilled. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned something that, that makes me think about this is that talking about that, I don't want to even phrase this, that a person of same sex desires uh should only marry someone of the same sex, right? And how how crazy is it to think that they marry someone of the opposite sex? It seems to paint marriage as you're married, you're marrying the person because you're sexually attracted to them. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, is that just me simplifying things too much? Or is that kind of the idea here is that you marry the person because you're sexually attracted to them. And therefore, if you're not sexually attracted to someone, you should never marry them. Or is that not really the main idea? Or am I, am I misrepresenting that too much? Uh, no, I, I mean, that's a simple way of putting it, but I'd say that's fair. It's basically, you know, it's, it would be unfair to, uh, say to tell someone, oh, you should marry that you're not sexually attracted to. And there is, I want to say caution, like there is some wisdom in that, like Paul talks about in, uh, first Corinthians seven verses two to five talks about how, uh, married couples have conjugal rights that they owe to each other. And yeah. so, um, that's, in part why I hesitate to pursue uh, marriage towards someone of the opposite sex is just because I'm uncertain whether I could be obedient to that command or not. Um, but really the main, uh, the main thrust I think comes from misrepresenting just singleness as this uh, place of loneliness and unfulfillment and, you know, it, it's yeah that's i think that's the main issue yeah you know and, and again you don't want to take that aspect out of marriage and say it's not mm -hmm. important that you're sexually attracted but when we make marriage about sexual attraction i think that's just one of the the issues in our culture that you're trying to fight with is is that people say one well one i just don't love you anymore and therefore i'm going to go find someone uh that i do love and again this mm -hmm. is painting this picture of that love is this feeling that may come and go and once it's gone i'm going to go find someone that now brings that feeling back and that excitement rather than love being a choice to lay down your life for someone and stick it out through all the difficulties the second thing i just think is this idea that um one if you don't satisfy me if i don't gain pleasure from you i'm going to go find someone who does uh because yeah. it's often about a self-gratification how are you going to make me feel and oh the sex isn't as good anymore or you are not making me happy anymore and it's all about what you should make me feel but then also uh, i just not attracted to you anymore uh maybe you're mm -hmm. not as beautiful and then you have people that are getting divorced and going and trying to find people that are now beautiful to them and hopefully you know those listening that are married recognize marriage is so much more than attraction and that yeah. pleasure and that love and that feeling, so to speak, uh, it's, it's so much greater and deeper than that. And it seems like these ideas saying that it's crazy to think that someone would marry someone uh, the, of, a, of the opposite sex, even though they're not attracted to them, uh, seems to limit or um, make marriage all about that sexual gratification and attraction rather than something much deeper. Yes, including that, but not just that. Yeah, I was just wanted wanted to add like I've I've heard stories of people who uh, who are same sex attracted get married but end up developing sexual attractions to their spouse like several years after into their marriage, mm -hmm. um, it, and it just goes to I, I don't know, I don't want to steer this off course into a, a rabbit trail or anything but it also relies on this presupposition that orientation that sexual your pattern of sexual attractions is is fixed and can't change yeah. which. Um, if you study sexual fluidity, which is an emerging field in, in uh, psychology, you'll know that people's attractions can change over time. And I don't want to get into the whole aspect of like conversion therapy and all that, but it's just people's attractions can change and 
Yeah. Well, I, that's not a rabbit trail because that was actually the next question. As soon as you brought that up, I wanted to ask oh. about that because that's, I mean, that, that's just what triggered immediately in my mind. And so I'm assuming if, you know, those who are watching, uh, they might think the same thing. And in, in my mind is that's the narrative of our culture is that your sexual attraction is, is, um, what would be the opposite of fluid? It's, it's, uh, Fixed. It's, yeah, it's fixed. It's not going to change and therefore it never will. But uh, there are plenty of stories and you share those of people whose sexual desires do change. Uh, maybe not fully, maybe not 100%, but at least uh, they're attracted to that one person of the opposite sex yeah. or, um, you know, obviously it varies and ranges from person to person. So I think that's another important cultural, um, cultural lie that needs mm -hmm. to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, it's just it oversimplifies sexual desire itself and just the complexities that it can take in people's lives. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot then because this is a question my students asked me. I addressed it in the classroom and I haven't I haven't made a YouTube video on it yet, uh, but I'm curious what you would say. Uh, it was a two part question. The first part was, why should a person get married? Why should a person get married? Well, Hopefully it's because they actually love that person and want to lay down their life for that person. Um, you know, scripture also talks about, you know, sexual desire is a, a, an aspect that should factor in. If you have strong sexual desire, then like I said before, marriage should be on the table. But hopefully you get married because you genuinely love that person, uh, not in the sense of um, or not reducing it to merely just you have feelings for that person, even though I think that's a part of it. But you're saying, okay, I'm going to, uh, I want to lay down my life for this person and spend the rest of my life with this person, uh, serving them and, you know, serving each other, living with one another. Yeah. And then the second part of that question was, um, is it okay if I not get married? Uh, let me just also add, uh, one, yeah. uh, one addendum to that last question that, I also think if you have a strong desire for children, I think that should also factor into the equation as well, because marriage is, I guess, adoption would be the other option. But if you want to have children naturally, then uh, marriage is the way to do that. Yeah. Um, so, so repeat the second question. The second part of the question was, uh, is it OK to not get married? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm uh, I mean, that's the whole uh, <laughs> the doctrine of biblical singleness. It's uh, yeah. it's very much OK to get married and or to, to not get married, I should say, and to remain single. It's like there's a special, um, yeah, purpose that, or I should say, uh, there's a specialness to singleness and a betterness to singleness that uh, that scripture talks about and that we, we need to talk about as well. Yeah. So I'm curious on that. Would you then say that there are um, inappropriate reasons to want to not get married? Like, are there times where someone says, I don't want to get married for these X, Y, and Z, and you go, actually, those are not good reasons you should or i mean is there a right and wrong uh, obviously we're talking about here of singleness is not bad and it's okay mm -hmm. but is there maybe a time where uh, they don't have good reasons i don't know i mean i i think the reasons that our culture tends to elevate singleness are usually the bad ones so like sexual immorality would be one um people want the freedom to have sex with whoever they want they don't want the uh the responsibility that comes uh, with marriage, or they don't want the commitment that comes with marriage. Um, I, I think, uh, gosh, that there definitely are bad reasons, um, but that, that's think, the one that's coming to mind. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. This is just I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head because what things what comes to mind is the idea that uh, marriage is very sanctifying. 
Uh, marriage mm. is, uh, man, when you really have to, when you have to lay down your life for someone, and again, you don't have to be married to truly love someone and be willing to lay down their life for them, but it does put you in a unique aspect uh, where you are truly putting, uh, for me, my wife first. And, you know, if someone just goes, you know, I just don't want to do that. I just want to be selfish <laughs> and I just mm-hmm. want to care about myself and I want to do what I want, when I want. Um, and it, I mean, is there a point where, I don't know, I guess there's a point where it's like, maybe you're staying single for the wrong reasons. Um, even though there might be good reasons and right reasons to remain single. Yeah, I I think selfishness plays a big part in that. If you're not stewarding your singleness well and you're just using it as uh, freedom and self-serving, I think that's probably how it summarizes all this. It's like if you're using your singleness as a means to serve yourself rather than to serve others, then then maybe marriage would probably be more... Um, beneficial for you because if you're in a marriage and if you have children, um, but even if you're just in a marriage, it naturally or it forces you to be more other focused, yeah, um, and not just so uh, self focused. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know you don't pray for uh, patience or else God's gonna put you in a situation where you have to use patience. You don't pray for you yeah. know, those sort of things, and it's like you know again, I'm not saying that people who are single and remain single late in life are doing it for selfish reasons, but it definitely is an incredibly sanctifying thing as you uh, learn to do it. And there's many ways in which we can learn how to do this. But I mean, I mean, I'm just thinking of last week uh, and the week before talking about um, of why God allow, why God would allow suffering, and it's often difficult circumstances that really shape our character. And definitely marriage is one that does shape our character. And I've heard that kids are possibly even more sanctifying than uh, marriage <laughs> itself, as you really have to go out of yeah. your way to love and treat someone well when they are not necessarily always giving back to you. Um, but I just think that's so valuable in, in addressing and, and thinking through, you know, why someone would want to be single, uh, if, it's a, if that's okay to be single, and to what age. Uh, because when I when I talk to students and I ask them the question, like, or I, I kind of put it, I say like, you guys have a negative view of singleness. And it's like, what? No, no. And it's like, okay, what do you think about a person who's 20 years old, single, never been in a relationship, still a virgin? Okay. That's not that bad. What about the, what if the 25, what if they're 30, 35, 40, 45, <laughs> right? And you finally, you, you will eventually hit an age where I think with most people, uh, it's kind of like, okay, well, something's wrong with them. Why? Well, because well, everyone just wants to sleep around and there's, man, there's millions and billions, you know, of, of women or, or men in the world. And, and uh, surely that you could find someone who wants to marry you. Therefore, if you're not married and if you're single and still a virgin by the time you're 40, 45, 50, there must be something wrong with you. And I think that, man, if we're not careful, that can be a natural, just a common re- a reaction that we have rather than saying some people have chosen this for various reasons. Um, and that's maybe something we need to think about of what are the, the ideas that we have that we think that maybe is without even thinking about them. Yeah, and again, it just goes back to that singleness has a purpose in and of itself. You don't need marriage or sexual fulfillment in order to be um, a faithful Christian or just a, anything like that, you, you uh, um, yeah, just singleness comes with its own uh, set of purposes, its own uh, responsibilities. And um, yeah, it, and it's glorifying to God. I think, I think that's, uh, that, that doesn't often get said enough. Like someone who chooses to remain single, uh, you know, remains faithful, 
um, even remain sexually abstinent their whole life. Like there are a lot of uh, great people throughout church history who have done done that. Like I think of um, John Stott, for example, is a British theologian, and he remained single for his whole life, and he was able to do many great things and offer services to the church because of the freedom that his singleness offered. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, how much more do we celebrate when someone has, uh, when someone is able to lay down their sinful desires, right. And, and, and truly follow Christ, uh, how much more should that be celebrated? And like, how awesome, how incredible that you have pursued Christ that you have been faithful to him and resisted this temptation. Um, that should be celebrated, not saying like, oh, you must be broken. No, this person has done what Christ has called them to do. And that is a beautiful thing that we should come alongside. And and I just love as we kind of wrap up of just the, uh, the idea that you talked about of being good stewards, right, of the moment we are in. That is what God has called us to be, is to steward what we have, the money we have, the time we have, the talents that we have, and even the relationships we have uh, to use those well for his glory. So, Neil, do you have any kind of last uh, words of advice or thoughts or reflections that you'd like to share with either the singles or Marys uh, as we wrap up our time? Yeah, just to encourage everyone, whether you're single or married, like whatever vocation you find yourself in, that is meant to be stewarded well for God's glory. And uh, yeah, to the married people, like use your marriage to glorify God and to serve the church. Like it'll look different than how a single person would, but you have that capability. Um, And the same thing goes for singles. Like you have an incredible amount of uh, freedom and flexibility that married people don't. So use that, steward that well in order to glorify God and serve others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Neil, thank you so much for jumping on the show from a distance this time and uh, having this discussion with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So with that, I'm going to be signing off for this week's live stream. Guys, have a blessed week. Love God and honor him with what you do. Come alongside those in your life, both singles and married, both recognizing how they benefit and come together to represent the body of Christ and, and the gospel. So thank you so much for watching. And I will see you next week on Tuesday, not Thursday, for the next weekly live stream. God bless everybody. See ya. I just won't hesitate to follow your